the objectives of all parenting should be to allow your child to discover what their passions are, what drives them, what makes them the happiest, and to create an environment where that can happen, where you can, they can explore that. And the job of every parent, 100%, is to make yourself obsolete. Welcome back or welcome to the Finding Mastery Podcast. I'm Michael Gervais and by trade and training, a sport and performance psychologist, as well as the co-founder of Compete to Create. Now, the whole idea behind these conversations is to learn from people who just have dedicated their life efforts to understanding the nuances of their craft or the things that they're most interested in, whether that be relationships or what they do or how they organize their life. And so these folks are rare. And because of that, they hold insights and they hold understandings that with just the right way to understand what they understand, we can maybe share that with everybody. And that's what the design of this podcast was meant to be. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Bubs Naturals. Like you, I am mindful about what I put into my body. So for me, it usually comes down to ingredients and simplicity. The shorter the list, the better. And that's why I've been loving Bubs Naturals. Bubs creates products with high quality, all natural ingredients that are designed to help us get after the adventures in life. For years, I've been a huge fan of their hydrate or die electrolyte mix. I mean, that's a fun title for a product, isn't it? It only has six total ingredients. It's packed with electrolytes. I love the taste. No added sugar, no artificial flavors, none of that stuff. It's great for post-workout recovery. That's when I use it. And I also use it during long periods of travel, which I've been doing a lot lately. And so thank you for the hydration here. And a ton of athletes that I know swear by them too. They're currently in just about every MLB locker room. They work closely with the Red Sox, the Yankees, I know the Rangers, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, and, and many more, of course. I'd love for you to go check them out. I think they're doing a really nice job. Just head to bubsnaturals.com slash finding mastery and enter the code finding mastery at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's bubs naturals, B-U-B-S naturals.com slash finding mastery with the code finding mastery for 20% off your first purchase. Finding mastery is brought to you by Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-informed treatments for erectile dysfunction, ED, hair loss, weight loss, and more. Health struggles like ED are common, but they can be hard to talk about when it comes to finding a solution. That's why Hims has been a game changer for so many men. The entire process is 100% online, and if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you, for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. Plus, you can manage your plan directly on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. So if you or a loved one has been struggling with ED, I really want to encourage you to go check out HIMSS. And I know ED often has a psychological component as well. So be sure that you're stacking some psychological best practices into your daily routine as well. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash finding mastery. That's hymns, H-I-M-S 
hymns.com slash finding mastery for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash finding mastery. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash EOF for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Okay, this week's conversation is with Deirdre Wallenick, the mother of legendary adventure rock climber Alex Honnold. You may recognize him as being the principal of this year's Academy Award-winning film Free Solo, where he became the first person to ever free solo El Capitan in Yosemite. He was a previous guest on the podcast, episode 108, and I wanted to speak with his mother for a couple reasons. First, Alex was one of the more challenging interviews on the podcast I've ever had. Everything just seemed so matter-of-fact, nonchalant to him, even though he operates in a highly consequential environment. And one thing I hope you've noticed from listening to these conversations is how much one's upbringing, their parenting, their structure, their environment, influence who they become and why they do what they do. So I thought, who better to have follow up on this conversation with Alex than his mother? And second of all, her own life story is pretty incredible. So inspired by her daughter, she began long distance running at the age of 55. And since then, she's completed several marathons as well as numerous half marathons and other races as well. And at 58, she took up rock climbing with her son, Alex. And at the age of 66, she became the oldest woman to climb El Capitan the iconic 3,200-foot granite sheer straight-up-and-down wall in Yosemite's National Park. She just published her first book, The Sharp End of Life, A Mother's Story, where she shares her intimate journey, revealing how her climbing achievement reflects a broader story of courage and persistence for all of us, and that it's never too late to have that fire in your belly and to learn something new, literally to reinvent or co-create the next version of yourself. So I think you'll be fascinated by this conversation. So with that, let's jump right into the conversation with Deirdre. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. This this conversation first peaked, what was it, maybe a year ago? More than that. More than a year ago? Two or more. Yeah, two or more years ago. So I had the pleasure and the honor to to meet you at an event we were doing, an interview with Alex, your son, Alex mm-hmm. and Old. And afterwards, um, I definitely wanted to meet you. And when I learned that you were there, I was like, ooh, I want, I want to go to the source. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like, that's me, the source. Yeah. And you said something intriguing right afterwards. You said, I'd love to share with you my perspective. And I said, I can't yeah. wait. Because, I mean, my best capture of Alex is that he is somebody that I think is the most significant person in sport right now. Yes. And because of his mind. Yes. Because of the consequential yes. environment he works in. Mm-hmm. And so I want to say thank you for spending the time to come here and, and to... You're more than welcome. To deconstruct. Yeah. Like, how is it that you it's have... one of my favorite topics. <laughs> you and Alex? <laughs> Alex. Alex. Yeah. Alex, okay. Alex and, and getting out there and doing stuff. Yeah, because, yeah, because I want to talk about like how you created an environment for somebody yeah. to thrive. That's what we were talking about last night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly that. And then you've got your unique journey 
<laughs> so I want to start there. So can yeah. can we go way back? Sure. Just to get some context. As far about, as you want. Yeah. Your book is phenomenal. So I, I was, yeah, I was gripped by the first nine chapters or eight or nine chapters where you talked about your early life and it was different. <laughs> yeah. It was intense. Right. And, and it wasn't intense, like big dramatic things happened. It was more no. like a slow decay. Decay. Yeah. <laughs> I would not have used that word before, mm -hmm. but why okay. decay? Yeah. And I see your face change when I say that <laughs> because right. I, I, I had this image of you as this bright, um, buoyant, spiritually, you know, awake little human. And then the way that your family structure was created and the challenge that your mom had physically mm. polio, mm -hmm. where you became a, um, you slipped into the recesses of right. your, of your being. I hid myself. Yes. Basically. Yes. Right. By survival. Right. Yeah. And so well, when survival I and duty there, yes. she was handicapped. Mm -hmm. We had to do what we had to do. Yeah. So it was this decay is maybe too strong of a word, but it was this, <laughs> this pulling away or this, um, hiding. hiding, hiding is the word that, yeah. Okay. So brilliant. So can you talk through that? What was that like growing up? Well, how far back do we want to go? Oh, whatever's important <laughs> for you to share. I mean, about. when I was three and a half, I realized, and I'll never forget that day. I realized that this is the way it was. She needed me. You know, I had to do these things for her. I had to be her arms and legs, more or less, you know, whenever she needed it. Couldn't do stairs or couldn't carry stuff, things like that. So I was there for that. And um, the, it, it was... It, Partially that, and partially the um, Eastern European mindset of Polish children. Yeah, the children are to be seen and not heard, kind of thing. We were we were just expected to obey. Nothing more. A good child in their philosophy and their you know mindset was one that didn't cause problems for their parents. And if it caused problems of any kind for your parents, you were bad, you know. And so that was a very clean line, very easy to understand, had very little to do with real life in my head, but in their heads, that was life. You know? So I just compromised and said, okay, that's what I'll be for as long as I need to, and kept the peace. I was the peacekeeper at home. My brother didn't do that. My brother didn't buy into that like that, but he was the boy. And in the Eastern European mindset, you know, the boy is king. Boys can do whatever. Girls have to do the chores and the this and the that. So, uh, yeah, a different approach. And you accepted that. It well, was just yeah, part I of had the to. Role. I had to. There was no choice. Right. And we're talking about ages four, five, six. Yeah. We're talking about yeah. early yeah. days. I came to this realization at three and a half, New Year's Eve party at our house. And I'll never forget that. And uh, so from then on, I just hid who I was, whatever I might feel about anything or think about anything, that didn't matter to anybody. And so I just swallowed that and followed the rules. You say it, and when I read it, it was, there's a lot of sadness in that for me. Oh yes, yeah, it's, it's devastating. I mean, I had to give up who I was for many, many years, decades. And did that, 
I don't want to fast forward, but that lasted maybe 30 years. Long time. Longer than that? <laughs> a long time. I don't know. I, I never quantified it. Yeah. So it was long definitely time. somewhere in mid-marriage where you started to change some of that a little bit. So it was like certainly an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things that I'm gripped by for you is knowing that that was, and decay is too, too hard. Okay. So I, I, I'll calibrate with you, but that inability for you to shine, the, mm. the hiding to Well, your I did shine in certain, in the ways music. that were acceptable to my parents. Which is service, duty, music. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I could do a lot of things, you mm -hmm. know, like still, you know, I could paint, I could play the piano beautifully. I could play the accordion and I could play anything basically. And so they, you know, they provided me with instruments and, and uh, you know, saw that I had opportunities in the arts, in language, things like that. Things I was, it was sort of, I was the show off child. You know, my brother was just, just a boy. I was the show off, you know. Yeah, not the princess, but the no, high no, no. <laughs> so the doll. You take the doll off, show it off, and then put it back on the shelf, and she's just supposed to sit there and wait. You know? mm. Mm. At what point did you say, you know what, I matter? When did that happen? I'll have to think about that. Mm -hmm. Not sure when that happened. It started happening. I probably in Japan when I was realizing that my husband had some issues and uh, yeah, it was it took a long time. It took a long time. I was in my forties probably. And there wasn't like this moment where it's like, whoa, I'm no. I'm done. No, that would have been devastating. The shadows. That would have been devastating. It was many little glimpses that kind of wised me up a little. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Because that is actually like when we look at catastrophes. That's yeah. actually how they happen. Small little things that yeah. go wrong, like yeah. a series of things. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the exact opposite, a small to come, series. To, to come to that realization, all of a sudden, 100% would have been devastating. You know, would have been as devastating as, as that moment when I was three and a half, you know, shut down. Yeah, right. So I, I guess my mind was protecting me, just little by little, little steps. Our minds are Our minds are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the way... They take care of us. In cunning, slippery, mm -hmm. private ways, you know? Sure. And so I do want to talk about your private versus public life. Okay. And now that you've written a book and <laughs> you've had incredible um, spotlight on you, yeah. you know, and Which so it's totally new to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is it something you enjoy or? Well, it's enjoy is not right. Really the word. Okay. It's, I don't know. I'll keep thinking about that too. <laughs> We're exploring here. Are, yeah, it definitely will be. Are you a pensive thinker, like you, or oh yes, I overthink thinker? everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, you do. So, and is it because you want to find and articulate it in just the right, perfect way, or is it because sometimes um, you operate better that way? Both. 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 Yeah. What would happen if you said something that wasn't right? And wasn't right. Yeah. Like, right factually, you mean? Uh, no, tonal, tonally. Like if I asked you to say, I say, you have to answer this question now. Like what would happen to you? I would probably just not answer it. <laughs> I would probably just wait until I. Where'd you learn that? Because many people get caught up in social pressures and they feel like they have to. I know. And, and I have been guilty of that here and there where you say things that you shouldn't. But, you know, I don't know. I'm just a thoughtful person, I guess. I, maybe from genetics. Who knows? 
where that comes from. Yeah. Okay. So if we go, if we go back to, it's an interesting word, hiding, the hiding years. Yeah. yeah. It's a really interesting word. And that lasted longer for you than maybe many. I think we all have experiences of hiding. Not to that extent. <laughs> yeah. Well, how come you didn't fall into a deep depression? Into? A deep depression. <laughs> I've wondered about that myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm just stronger than that. I, some people are more prone to being overwhelmed. And I have never been. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I I think it's just genetics, just lucky. <laughs> yeah. So you would say that you had some of the same conditions that others could have, but genetically oh, yeah. Heck you yeah. didn't. Oh, yeah. You didn't have that chemical. I didn't allow exchange. it to to destroy me. I didn't allow it to take over my my life. What are those types of thoughts that would support you being in a unflourishing environment? I don't know if that's a word. Yeah, but, yeah that's a pretty good word for yeah, it. Like, well, in in certain areas, it was very flourishing area, in the yeah. arts and in, in you know. But that's the performance side of you. Yes, we're talking about like yes. the essence. Like okay, the, so you're the, talking about personality. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what's your question? Oh yeah. What What would be some of the inner dialogue? Some of the stories or words or phrases you would use to help you figure it out. That's a That's a deep question. Yeah. I'm all that one over. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I've asked three questions. You're like, I got to think. Yeah. Making a list over here. Okay. I'm not sure I understand exactly what you mean. You mean what I used to tell tell myself in my own head? Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. What would you say to yourself when you didn't feel well, when you felt like, you know, you wanted more, but you weren't quite sure how to be it? What would you say to yourself about being? Well, I never allowed any of those thoughts until I was an adult. You know, it was, I, I couldn't, my mind was probably just protecting me, wouldn't allow them in. I, I, I just hid who I was and that was that. End of story. I was her daughter. I was the helper. I was the peacekeeper. That was my role. And that's, that was it. In my head, I had all these other things going on. You know, I, I've been a writer all my life since I was like five, you know, and, a, and, a, and piano was my lifesaver you know that the piano was my only i mean gr- growing up that way in that kind of environment piano was my only emotional outlet and so you know other things become important and so i if if i had any of those thoughts you're talking about i would just send them that way to i would pound it out on the piano you know or write a story or something wow when you say that right now where do you feel it? Well, I've gotten over all that. So yeah. I, where did I feel it? I, I I never really allowed it to take root until I was able to handle it. That's okay. And even now, like not even now, but now, when you talk about it, you don't. You're not animated with feeling. It's like there's been healing. No, that's I, taken I place. I've gotten over all that. I, okay. I I was for a long time. You know, it was interesting because I just watched you do that and this unique experience that um, when I interviewed Alex, your son, you guys have a very similar approach to emotional challenges. Yes. So you both are yes. conditioned. I think that's or, the Wallenick approach. The, Alex is a Wallenick through and through. Which He's is the a Polish Wallenick. side. That's my side of the family. Yeah, yeah, the Polish side. He looks at looks like my father. He's built like my father. He's, And we share a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So internal, mm-hmm. hold it together. Yeah. Um, refusal to entertain thoughts that could hurt or kill. 
Right. Right. Or right. create or be damaging. Right. Yeah. And I had to be like that to survive that kind of a childhood successfully. Do you think you taught Alex that or do you think that that is something? No, I think it's just genetic. I think we're just that way. Just born that way. We wouldn't know what that genetic code is yet, you know? So wouldn't it be nice if we could just say, yeah, I want some of that. <laughs> we don't, yeah, we don't. Right. Or I want, I want to dial this and that, you know, and, yeah. and create a little equal, uh, equalizer. Or, or we may never be up to that task of making those decisions. What would you call it? What would you call that chromosome, that unique? Coping, the coping chromosome. Yeah. Okay. Something. So high coping. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's probably close. Yeah. Okay. All right. If Cop you were coping and not, not letting it undo you. You know, I, I don't know what, what the word is for that. But yeah, Alex has that in spades. And he has worked hard at it. To develop it. To, do, to, to hone it. To fine tune it. That's why his amygdala doesn't fire. He has worked hard at making... At, at what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not letting it take over. Yeah, so the amygdala is the part of the brain that is primarily responsible for fight, flight, freeze, survival flight, mechanisms. Flight, yeah, me. yeah. yeah, and so he, um, there's a famous study where they checked out his brain, put an fMRI on his brain mm -hmm. and electrical mm -hmm. activity and took a look at yeah, what was you, happening when you share scary images yeah. to the Alex yeah. Arnold. Yeah, and they came to some shaky conclusions about that in the movie but i mean basically he just trained himself out of responding if you will you know finding mastery is brought to you by apollo neuro i am really excited about what apollo neuro is building if you haven't had the chance yet i highly recommend that you go check out the conversation i had with their co-founder dr david rabin on the podcast it is well worth a listen Unlike traditional wearables that simply track your biometrics, Apollo is doing it totally differently. Apollo Neuro is designed to actively improve your health by enhancing sleep, relaxation, energy, and focus. So how's it work? Developed by neuroscientists and physicians, Apollo delivers these soothing little vibrations. They call them Apollo vibes that are like music your body can feel. More rapid vibrations help to improve your energy and focus while the slower vibrations help to promote rest and digest in your body. And the best part for me, they're grounded in good science. Apollo has been tested by thousands of users in clinical and real world trials. I would love for you to give it a go. It's making a meaningful difference in my life. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can receive an exclusive 15% off an Apollo wearable. Just head to apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery and use the code findingmastery at checkout. This is an exclusive offer. It's only for us here at Finding Mastery. So be sure to use the code at checkout. Again, that's apollo, A-P-O-L-L-O, apollo, neuro, N-E-U-R-O, apolloneuro.com slash findingmastery or use the code findingmastery at checkout or 15% off your purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Cured. If there's one big rock to get into the container when it comes to dialing in your wellness, one thing that stands out among the rest is sleep. Whether it be improved physical health, mental health, performance, creativity, quality sleep 
is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the science that supports that. And if you're struggling with sleep or you just want to dial it in a bit further, Cured's Zen formula just might be a great solution for you. Zen is a nootropic that is formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist, and it contains a blend of reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passionflower, and broad-spectrum CBD. That is a powerhouse combination. Zen could be a great little addition to your bedtime routine. They recommend taking it about 45 minutes before hopping into bed to let the reishi and ashwagandha and chamomile and the CBD do their thing. So right now, because you're listening to this podcast, Cured is hooking you up with a great offer. You can try Zen for 20% off when you visit curednutrition.com slash findingmastery and you use the code findingmastery at checkout. That's Cured, C-U-R-E-D, Cured, nutrition.com slash findingmastery and enter the code findingmastery at checkout to save 20%. How would you, knowing your son intimately, knowing yourself as well as you know yourself through this adventure of life, how, how would you help somebody else cultivate that inability to be overrun by emotional response? Well, to a certain extent, I don't think it can be taught. Some of it, not all of it. But I do believe it's genetic, largely genetic. And you're born that way and, and you know... But, but you can help it along. You can help it along. And there are a lot of things you can do to help that along, that, that coping mechanism. Cool. So it's a little bit like slow uh, marathon runners, slow, slow twitch fibers, and then sprinters, which they have muscle fibers of fast twitch, right? You're saying, okay, you're born with one or the other, and you can, you can help. You can grow it. Yeah. How would you yeah. grow it, though, for somebody that wherever they are in the spectrum? If you say, okay, you want to cope more? You want to be able to not respond? Um, in, I don't know, potentially dangerous or catastrophic ways, what would, you, what would you suggest people start with that? Well, I don't know. A good place to start, is, if you're old enough, is journaling. And you smile and smirk at that. You, you, you're into that as well. well the journaling value of... is such a wonderful tool. Mm-hmm. You can survive a lot of stuff by writing about it, and, and that forces you to evaluate and think about it. And evaluating is a large part of this process. Is this really dangerous? Is this really, can I really live and do this? I don't mean live physically, but, you know, have a life. You know, I, I probably went through some process like that when I was three and a half. And I just kind of came to the conclusion that, well, yeah, this is the way she is. Uh, she's, you know, I can't change her. Mom. Right? My mother, yeah. I can't change her, but I'll just put me aside um, until I can let it out. I mean, three and a half to I make know. that kind I of know. decision. I know. I know. I knew I was a peacekeeper from then on. Yeah, yeah, that's the role you adopted. So right. in dysfunctional families, and I'm not calling yours dysfunctional, but we yeah, know yeah. this. There's a handful. When people come from alcoholic or addiction or severe mental disorder, you know, or just a challenges real deep rich obvious yeah sometimes cunning challenges, challenges. in the family yeah what ends up taking place is children there's a handful of roles the the um the joker the straight a student you know mm-hmm. the doll in your case right 
And um, straight A student. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. So you were you were the performance. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a handful of roles that children take on to try to figure out and solve the family dynamic. And so, okay, got yours. Now, now, how about this? When you were trying to figure out how to play the piano, you were highly skilled at listening to adults, listening to language, listening to tone, because that was a survival mechanism. And how about that that influenced your ability to perform well? That's what I was talking about last night. Um, yeah, I grew up surrounded by many, many languages. Um, in New York City after the World War II, you know, it was, it was a haven for what they called displaced persons back then. Nowadays, we would probably call them refugees, war refugees, uh, all kinds of refugees, but they called them displaced persons. But so our neighborhood, Jackson Heights, still to this day, Jackson Heights is considered uh, by the New York Times to be the most international neighborhood in the whole country. And it was then too. It, the demographics come in waves. They change in waves. You know, when I was little, it was mostly European, some North African, some a lot of um, the islands. You know, the Caribbean, South America, a little bit of Asian, but not much. Nothing really noticeable. Asian, but um, so, like on, on our little block, every house in every house they spoke a different language. They had different food. They had different religion, different mindset, everything, you know. And so I grew up listening. Listening was what I did the most because if I'd go to Teresa's house, I had to be sociable with grandma and grandpa in, in Slovak. I'd go to Paul's house. I had Greek grandma in Italian and, you know, go. And, and in our family, everything, all, there was, a, there was a, a dichotomy, a very clear cut dichotomy in our, in my world. Old people spoke whatever. In our family, it was Polish. All of my grandparents are from Poland. So old, I, <laughs> this, this conf, well, I'm not confused, but this surprised my husband when I, you know, later, years later when I met my husband. And I mentioned something about, I, I had moved out to California, and California is remarkably monolingual, uh, uniform. All the other cultures, it is very diverse. But all the other cultures are sort of a subculture. And that's not true in New York. In New York, everybody's equal. Everybody's out there in your face equal. And um, when I came here, I, I moved here, I, it was, there was more culture shock for me moving to California than there had been to move to France for a year. And one of the things I said to him, I said, I had never, uh, I, I met one of his great answers. And I, uh, adopted grandmother they used to call her and you know, white-haired old lady and she was american she's you know she only spoke english and, and i mentioned to him i had never met a white-haired person who spoke english without an accent never and so i grew up listening listening was what i did best i mean my grandmother on my father's side she was she died i guess i was between three and four, somewhere. And we used to hang out and play cards together in Polish, you know, and um, take walks and stuff. And we'd hang out with her friend who was Ukrainian, and they would all chat, and I would chat with them, and I was two and three. So I grew up listening, and that helps 
what we were talking about this coping mechanism, you have to really be able to listen well to A, to learn languages, you know, B, to play music, and C, to, to really deal with people on any, any successful level, you want to call it that, you have to be a good listener. And I grew up listening, and that's how I started learning languages, you know. They didn't want us to know what they were talking about the kids, you know, all the adults so in the gatherings, would, they would all, they would all talk Polish. And we, kids after the war, none of the parents after the war wanted their kids to speak anything but English. So all the little kids, you know, this is baby boom generation, all the piles of little kids on our block, you know, only spoke English. All their parents spoke something else. <laughs> All their grandparents only spoke that something else, whatever it was. So you had this dichotomy. But I wasn't satisfied with that. I was a, a listener you know, from the beginning. And so I would listen and listen and eavesdrop on their conversations. And little by little, I started understanding what they were talking about. I wanted to know what they were saying about me. When Are we talking about age six? Uh, well, no, I started listening you know, like from early two early onwards because okay. I, I hung out with my grandmother when I was you know, two and three. Okay, so if you could go back to a living room or wherever you were in your in your home, and let's go back to age six, seven, okay. in that range, and you're listening, trying to sort it out, you didn't realize that you're creating a skill, an, an attunement of... No, well, it was a skill. It was something I wanted to be able to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. At a deeper level, what do you wish if there was somebody in that room speaking Polish at the time, and looked over at you, looked down towards you, and what do you wish, if you could do it in your native tongue right now, what do you wish they could have said or would have said to you? I longed for just one of them to talk directly to me. What we, okay, so do you speak, still speak Polish? Yeah. You have command of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, could you say it in your native tongue what you hope they would say, have said to you? Oh, anything. I didn't care what it was. No, but go, they, like, go, go to that place. Like if they, if they could go right into you and change you in a way that would have impacted for the better, for the, whatever, like they would have impacted your life at a rich level. And that was a watershed moment. What would that have been? I haven't the foggiest. I, I'm not sure I understand what you mean. Let's, if we flipped it and we said, um, if you had the opportunity to speak in Polish, you know, to a young six-year-old girl, just these bright eyes looking and watching and knowing what you know now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see that girl that's, you know, she's trying to figure it out. She's only six. What would you say to well, her? Well, I think you're confusing language with communication. No, I was just giving you, I, I, what I wanted to hear is your native tongue, because I don't know what Polish oh, sounds like. Move, move, Samso, move, 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 po polsku troje, cienko troje, proszę. But, you know, they never talk to us. Right. Adults talk to adults. Children were to be seen, you know, go, go play somewhere quiet, you know. So, I, yeah, I, I would have loved to say that, but I couldn't, because I... If I had said anything to them in Polish, see, I couldn't let on that I understood. Because if I had said anything to them, they would have stopped talking about us in front of us. And I wanted to know what was going on, you know? 
I want to know what they were saying about me and my brother and, and what we're going to do next year. Yeah, you're and, trying you know. to sort it out. You're trying to figure it out. Yeah, every yeah. advantage you could. They were filled yeah. with information that we didn't have as kids. Yeah. And I wanted some of that. <laughs> yeah. So if I had said anything, if I had let on that I understood, that would have ended. You know? So mm -hmm. it was part of my coping mechanism. I, I knew I was picking it up, the language. I was picking up what they were talking about. But that would have all ended if, if I had said anything to them. The, it did happen. Um, I was probably about twelve or thirteen by the time it happened, and I said, "I, I was in. I don't remember. I guess it was at home, and they were talking. Adults were all talking, and somebody said something about us or kids or me or something, and I answered." You know, it, it was so normal to me by then. I, I just followed all their conversations. I never had, took part because I was a kid. You know, kids had nothing to do with that. But they said somebody said something, and and I answered. You know, in Polish. I I don't know if I answered in Polish, but I answered them. They who had, who had been speaking Polish, and that was the end. They were like, "Oh, she understood." You know, so they said, "Ah, ona rozumie, ona rozumie." You know, that was the end. But after that, I was old enough for it. Didn't, it didn't matter anymore. You know, I was already a teenager. But that would have happened had I been six or seven. They would have stopped talking about us, and that would have been the end of my uh, language training. You know, I, I, I sure. enjoy yeah, learning I languages. Yeah. I yeah. always did, and I enjoyed learning. You know, Italian across the street and Greek across the street next yeah. door, and you know, and that would have been the end of my Polish lessons, if you want to call it that, if I had led on that I knew. Although I did, I used to ask my mother, you know, how do you say this or that in Polish? But she, I guess they never put it together that I could actually understand them. <laughs> you were clever. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, Okay. exactly. And what is it that you, I, I get that what you were craving or longing for was just acknowledgement that you mattered. Yeah, just personhood. It wasn't like. Just personhood. And yeah. they didn't treat us like people. Mm -hmm. And that's cultural. Yes. More so than yes. individual, yes. your yes. mom's yes. style. Cult of well, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Okay. And then, so if you take that insight and, you know, when you had your son and daughter at a young age, how did you speak to them? Well, actually, when I had them at a quite an old age. <laughs> oh, did you? When, when, when did I you I was have 30 them? when I started having kids. Okay. Yes. That's considered young. I was an old maid. I didn't get married until I was 27. Yeah, that, that the times The bane of changed, my mother's existence. Days. My mother was always talking about that. Yeah, she was... She was, she had despaired that I would ever get married. <laughs> what was it like when your mother passed away? Oh, goodness. That's a big question. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, where was I living then? I can't remember where I was living then. I bounced around quite a bit. Um, it was, it was, it's not really a question of what it was like when she passed away, because I mourned her for years before she passed away. I knew that I had not had a normal childhood. I knew yeah. that I had not had a real mother, you know. My mother, children, to, to my parents, children were a different breed altogether. They had no clue how to talk to children, you know. And, and so, um, so I had mourned her for years prior to her death. So the death was kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, I was living in Northern California. It's all coming back now, now that you've said that. I was living in Northern California, and uh, they were in Pennsylvania. My parents lived in Pennsylvania at that time. My mother was from there. 
you shared a story in your book about um, when you got married, that on the car ride from the ceremony, that I think if I have this right, I might have some of the yeah, details from Pennsylvania wrong. to New York City. Yeah, that you just cried. Airport. And right. you grieved. Cried the whole way. <laughs> yeah, you grieved. It was a beautiful line. Cried the whole way. I grieved for what was never said. Yeah, yeah. Parents don't realize how, what's the word, powerful, how an impact they have in their kids' lives. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Can you teach from that insight? Can you teach what parents that are living, are raising their children now, not living, but parents that are raising their children now, what would you hope? The key? Yeah. Or, talk to them. Yeah. What are Talk to them. That's the main key. Talk to them like normal people. <laughs> Don't baby talk. Don't speak Polish around them so that they don't understand. Don't baby, especially baby talk. That drives me crazy. Would you like a little cookie? Maybe just talk to them like normal people. Kids are just adults in small packaging. Basically, they have all the same tools. They don't call things the same words and stuff. Obviously, they don't have the same vocabulary. They have all the same tools or beginnings of tools and that can all be fostered you know or or killed as in my case but yeah that that's that's key right there talk to them acknowledge <laughs> just, them just talk to them like people not like a child or a whatever just talk to them like people do you feel like you get your son excuse me do you get your son do, do you I get him yeah do you, <laughs> most people i think have an really difficult time trying to understand how he operates and how he works in such a consequential environment and is done so well at it. Yeah, they do. Uh, I think most people don't get him. Mm -hmm. I, it's it's dan dangerous to ever say you get anybody completely, you know, because there are so many layers of peoplehood inside us. But to a large extent, yes, I do. And, and I believe that I'm the only back then, you know, when he was a kid, I, I knew this uh, in my heart of hearts that I was the only parent I knew. And, you know, we had a lot of preschool parent groups and school, you know, and family. And I was the only parent I knew who would have been capable of raising Alex to be successful Alex. Everybody wanted to shut him down. He was in their eyes, either hyperactive, which he was not, or just hyper, hyper this or hyper that. They just, you know, put him on drugs, take him to the doctor, get him, get him diagnosed, you know, so you can get some rest. To other parents, this is very important. And, and I never did get any rest when he was a kid. I really, I, I didn't get any rest for like 14 years. I mean, I never had a moment off. Because of his intensity. Because, uh, well, when he was very small, he didn't sleep. He he didn't need sleep. He would push, push, push. He just had to go, go, go until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. He was just not hyperactive, but he had this reservoir. He still has it. He can go way, physically go, go, go beyond most people's limits. And he was like that as a kid. You, in many ways, your early life, the challenges that you faced from your unique ecosystem were perfectly matched yes. to, to deal, deal with, with Alex, the exact yes. other side. Yes. But you did something. You didn't use the model that you learned no. and repeated it. No. 
I knew when I was three and a half that this was not a good way to raise kids, how they were My, raising us. At three and a half? Yes, yes, I did. What I, was, I mean, three and a half was an important year. It fundamentally it changed your life. Oh, Those yeah, two totally, thoughts, totally, totally. Right? I'm going to hide, and this is not right. Yeah. If yeah, I get a chance yeah. to do it, this isn't how yeah. I'm going to well, do it. I knew that, you know, this is the way they were. I couldn't change them. This is the way they were. And I was small and inconsequential. Didn't matter, you know, in their eyes. I did, of course. I mean, they, they would have died for us. I know that. But they didn't know what to do about it, you know, and, and I knew that. And, mm -hmm. and I knew that if I ever had kids, if I ever had babies, I wasn't going to wow. ever let them feel like I felt. Wow. Yeah, I knew that at three and a half. And so that's why you became tired. That's why you relentlessly created the ecosystem for your children to right. figure exactly. out oh, yeah. I how to be from, themselves. Right. You can, you can learn far more, probably far more from a bad example than you can from a good example. So in no way would you, based on that thought, would you want to change your childhood? Change my childhood? Mm -hmm. Probably not. It made me a very strong person. But there was a cost. There was a there was, there was a, a high cost. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, which that. was identity. I paid the price for decades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it kind of paid off. <laughs> what if, what you if have I, to have a long view if you're you know, raised like that. You have to have a long view, and I did. Did you develop a long view? Well, as a when kid? I was, you know, when I made the, all these decisions that night, New Year's Eve, when I was three and a half. I, I, I knew, I mean, not, not in these terms, you know, I didn't have this vocabulary, but I knew that I had to do these things to get along with them peaceably, you know, and peace is very important to me and harmony and, and you, whatever you want to call was it. Was there violence in the family? No, 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 no it wasn't that. And uh, so at three and a half, there wasn't occasional spanking, but that, that yeah. was the European way. No, no, there was no violence. No, no, there were, no, and there, there wasn't were. a demonstrative moment that New Year's Eve. Excuse me? There wasn't like this massive moment, New Year's Eve. It was just like you had an aha. It all happened in my head. Mm -hmm. It all happened in my head. And I hid it all from everybody forever. Till, till right now. <laughs> and, and no, it all happened in my head. They, they never had a clue. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AG1. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know what a big supporter I am of AG1. And it's almost been for a decade now. So I love what they're doing. I, it's something I drink just about every day. And part of their marketing slogan is that it's a nutritional insurance program. And like, I just, I love that. That's the way it feels for me. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers a dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and so much more. It is a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. I like to take it first thing in the morning which is also recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. And so what I do is I just fill up my shaker, add some cold water, a scoop of AG1, and a little squeeze of lemon. I shake it up, and I'm ready to go. Or if I'm in a rush or you know I'm, I'm ripping and running on the road, I just grab an AG1 travel pack to take with me. I feel great after drinking it, not only because of the nutritional insurance idea, but there's just a there's a sustenance that happens when I drink it. And I love recommending it to friends and family because I know AG1 is formulated with science-informed rigor and the highest quality in mind. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I've loved partnering with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, I want to encourage you to give AG1 a try and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and also get 
five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash findingmastery. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AquaTrue. We all know how important hydration is to performance and recovery and well-being, but it's not just about how much you drink. The quality of your water plays a big role. And if you're like me and you don't fully trust tap water, and I think for good reason, research by the Environmental Working Group has shown that three out of four homes in the U.S. have harmful contaminants in tap water. That's why I'm really excited to introduce AquaTrue. Their purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. It's incredible. I can literally taste the difference in my water. Plus, the filters are affordable and long-lasting. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That adds up to less than three cents per bottle. It feels great to know that all at once, I'm saving money, getting the highest quality water for the Finding Mastery team, and helping make a positive impact on the environment by eliminating single-use plastics all the way around. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and it even makes a great gift. And right now, because you're a Finding Mastery listener, you receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. So just go to AquaTrue.com. You spell it A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code Finding Mastery at checkout. Again, that's AquaTrue.com. Enter the Finding Mastery code at checkout to receive 20% off any purifier that you buy there. All right. So let's go, let's go back to parenting because what you've done is remarkable. Pretty, uh, pretty phenomenal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable. Because and, and I've got two of them. Yeah, they're, right. They're both phenomenal. In adventure athletes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Are adventure athletes. Would you, would you say that you've raised two individuals to be risk takers or to be highly skilled or to be individuals that embrace humanity? How would you describe your job as a parent? My job as a parent? Yeah. Like from what the, were the from objectives? From the very beginning, you mean? Yeah. Like what from were babyhood? the objectives? Yeah. The objectives are, yeah, I've talked a lot about this. The objectives of all parenting should be, are, whatever, to allow, that's the word, allow, foster, whatever, allow your child to discover what their passions are, what drives them, what makes them the happiest, and to create an environment where that can happen, where you can, they can explore that. And the job of every parent, 100%, is to make yourself obsolete so that your kids don't need you, you know, physically and, and, and to, to live and, you know. It's the exact opposite of what you were raised in. Yeah. Is the exact, exact opposite. opposite. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. how do you create, how does one create that environment? Talk to them. It all comes it down come, to that. Come back Talk to, to them. You can't find, mm. you can't know what's important to a kid if you don't talk to them. You can't. You can so watch, you, you can observe, and you yeah. can try to come to some conclusions, adult-based you know, based conclusions. But you can't know what motivates a kid or what's important to a kid or what they desire most if you don't talk to them. And then, okay, go to the environment piece. So you, you talked about helping them 
you realizing or helping them understand what their passions are, what, yeah. how they're, why they're driven, whatever, you know? Okay. That was an unusual voyage with Alex. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you know, very unique. And then the other is to create the environment to help them flourish. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's just talk about that. How, how do you go about shaping environments or recommend that other people shape those environments? Well, it depends on the child, of course. It depends on mm -hmm. what's important to that little person mm -hmm. in front of you. Uh, you. What do you mean? Like designing the home, you mean? Or? I don't know. I don't know how you think about it, but that's a cool thought. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Well, that's I mean, I mean the, the parents create the physical environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like if the kid wants to be a pianist, well, if you don't have a piano, you're going to make it real hard on them, you know, so that so to a large extent you drive the desires of your kids, you know, or, or fall short or whatever. So physically you can help, you know, um, there's oh, so many ways that Every so, day. Okay, so let, let, uh, before we go further on those, what if, let's say, let's use piano because it's near okay. and dear to you. And let's say that you see your kid's got that an interest okay. in piano. It's, it's, like an, it's like, whoa, okay, he likes it, she likes it. And they sign up for some piano classes. This is a common theme. And the parent sends um, the kid to the first six classes but has bought 12. And the kid comes home and says, I'm over it. Now, it just got hard is all that happened. That's yeah, all yeah, that happened. Yeah, yeah. It just got hard. And they're a little busy, you know, with other stuff. And well, that's a fine line. That's it is. a fine line I'd for love a parent to, to how, walk. I'd love to hear that's, how you walk okay. that. This is a very fine line for a parent to walk between laziness on the kid's part and um, real distaste, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to approach this, but... I mean, it, it, everybody's basically kind of lazy, but if a kid really wants to be a piano player, the harder lessons are not going to deter them. It's as simple as that. If your kid wants to be a gymnast, buying them a piano is not going to help, and keeping them out of gymnastics class is not going to stop them. You know? Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Kids know what they want. Okay. So and, then go back to that fine line when the kid. You yeah. That's see a fine line. You have yeah. to, you have to be gentle about that. I mean, my, my kid, oh, case in point, um, when they were little, um, a lot of the other parents around in the preschool, you know, we'd stand around and chat waiting for our kids. A lot of them suggested Quite strongly sometimes, you know, they, they'd watch Alex and they'd see how haggard I was because I was always exhausted, always tired. I never got enough sleep. Alex resisted sleep until 10 or 11. He was up at 4.30 every morning, every day for I don't know how many years. Go, go, go. Go play. 4.30 in the morning. It was pitch dark out. Alex was ready to roll. He has this boundless energy. And it's not hyperactivity. That's different. That's a that's a diagnosable thing. Alex was just born with this boundless font of, of energy, and so and my husband was largely gone most of the time, either gone teaching or gone at conferences or traveling somewhere, and, and he had very little to do with us at home. It was me and the kids, and so I was always exhausted. So I couldn't dig very deep <laughs> because I was so tired all the time. But I loved my two little kids, and they were wonderful little people, and they were fascinating. And so I, instead of 
following all their parental advice and you know having them diagnosed and putting them on Ritalin or whatever would slow them down, you know, so I could get some sleep. <laughs> um, I tried all kinds of things. We we went on long walks and we we'd climb things together, you know, whatever I could, you know, and, and we um, and I talked with them all the time and. I put them in, both of them in. I asked them, you know, gymnastics. There was a there was a, a performance gymnastics group in our town in Sacramento, and it it was uh, you know not school affiliated. It was just for performance. They they performed all over the region, and they were very good. And uh, so I I approached uh, the coach, and he said, Yeah, sure, sure. So I brought the kids there, and I asked them if they want to try it. And, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So you know. Gymnastics. This sounds like the perfect uh, outlet for my son, who's always climbing on stuff. All he ever <laughs> wanted to do since birth, since yeah, the day he was yeah. born, was climb higher. Doesn't that fit for Alex? Yeah, Doesn't yeah. That's fit. all he ever mm. wanted to do was mm. go higher. You know, Stacia and I were always content to like to to walk to the park where Alex was. You no, know, he always found a wall to 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 what do you call that? Uh, traverse on or, or a, a building or a tree or hop from tree to tree or whatever. Um, so this is the perfect outlet, okay, gymnastics. Well, it didn't work out too well because Alex, there, was all, there were all these things there. They had bars. They had ropes hanging down. They had things to climb on, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't let him use them. They... He had to wait his turn. He had to use it only the way that the coach deemed safe. And, you know, in, it, all these things were there taunting him, and he, he couldn't do what his body was telling him to, you, to do. And so he knew, he knew better what, how to use all these things and what he could do, he, what his body was capable of. He, he knew better than the coach. He did. I didn't know that then. You know, but he he clearly knew in retrospect he knew better than the coach what he was capable of and what he could do with all these tools, these amazing looking things hanging all over the walls. But he wasn't allowed. And it was a source of great frustration. And so I I const I, I he he asked, I don't want to go back anymore. I don't want to go anymore. So I I kept talking to them. Stacia enjoyed it, his sister. Uh, enjoyed it, but um, Alex was totally frustrated, and I didn't understand why. Then, you know, I, I to me this was heaven. If you like to be up higher and doing stuff, moving your body, all this is heaven. But it wasn't for him, and so I talked with him all the time. And eventually, he was so adamant that now this is terrible. And he, of course, he couldn't put it in adult terms. I, you know, I wasn't getting all of his reasoning, but I could see it was making him miserable. So I just let them stop. You have to know when to pull back. You have to know which battles to fight. And, and I fought that for a long time. I figured it, he was lazy. I mean, he is lazy. If it's not something he wants to do, he's as lazy as sin. You know, picking up his socks, huh, never, never going to happen. But if you need somebody to save your life, he's your guy. You know, he's, he's focused, to totally focused. So, and so I, I, I argued it a little bit, little bit, little bit, and I could see that it was making a miserable. But you have to know when to pull back from that fight. Your, your, your daughter tires of you know, practicing the piano for her lessons? Well, maybe it's not the right kind of music for her. 
maybe she has a, a physical problem in her hand that she can't tell you about. She doesn't know enough. There's all kinds of things that get in the way between what the kids say and what we hear. And that's a fine line. You have to, the only way to work your way down that fine line is to talk to them. I love it. There, what you're describing is a very Western approach to skill development, which is called formal instruction, as opposed to something that is a little bit more dangerous and risky called guided discovery or just true discovery. So we could take a kid at the top of a hill and say, I'm going to show you how to roll down this hill. Tuck your chin, put your hands right in front of you, you know, push off of your feet and then roll. And then, or we could put them at the top of the head and say, go for it. Or yeah, we could put them at the top of the hill and say, Hey, why don't you roll down? Don't you think it would be fun to roll down the hill? Yeah. Let's see how. So you were more of the guide of discovery when Alex found himself and your daughter found them, Stasha, 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 sorry. When Stasha found herself in a structured, formal environment, they didn't quite vibrate with it. At least Alex didn't. Would you recommend? Um, to a certain extent, that's true. Uh, physically. 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 Because he excelled in school. He was a wonderful, wonderful little student in school. You know, mentally. Uh, yeah, I was just talking about the gymnastics environment. But yeah. physically, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how about another scenario? How about my child is struggling in school and they're more interested, he or she is more interested in something else. And they've got a real capacity for this other thing, whether it's sport or it's some sort of creative thing, or in modern times, it's like video gaming or something there, you know, and, but they're struggling in school, not taking care of their first priority, but certainly enthralled with the other thing. Mm. How do you manage? How would you suggest? Yeah, I have a friend who's struggling with this right yeah. now. She, we just had a long talk about this very thing because she, she knows that about Alex. Yeah, her son wants to do nothing but ski to the detriment of his studies and everything else, social life, nothing else is important. That, that's another one of those fine lines. I mean, sometimes with some children you can negotiate compromises, you know. Okay, you finish your homework before Sunday night and, yeah, you can go skiing on next weekend. You know, sometimes some kids are more open to compromise. Mm. And some kids, like Alex, <laughs> will not compromise, period, end of story, on anything. And so that's part of what I meant when I said I was probably the only parent capable of raising Alex, because I'm probably the only adult on this planet who's more stubborn than my son. <laughs> <laughs> Alex could out-argue everybody in the Honnold family. You know, we lived in California, so it was only Honnolds and me. A Wallenick. And all the Wallenicks were back east. Um, so Alex could out-argue everybody around him except me. Where did he get that contrarian view? From, no from my father. <laughs> my father was like that. People used to refer to my father as a, a Philadelphia lawyer. Do you know that term? No. Mm -mm. In the east, a Philadelphia lawyer. It was, it was anybody who could argue either side of any argument equally well and so alex has and, that same and alex skill. has that but mm -hmm. he always stays on his own side <laughs> yeah he, he so 
Yeah, that's another one of those fine lines. And sometimes you can negotiate that fine line with compromises. My daughter was open to compromise. Alex never was. Are you more interested in an environment that cultivates principle or skill? Principles meaning, you know, high character, excellence, you know, um, enthusiasm for life. I would say definitely principle. More principles than the mechanical principle. part and of the skill. the skill comes with after. that. Yeah. Skill is uh, an out of, uh, what do you call it? What's the word I'm looking for? Um, mm, side effect. Side effect. Side effect. Oh, that's cool. yeah. side effect of okay. principles. So, so what are some of the guiding principles that matter to you as a parent, as a woman? And Holy cow. Big question. Yeah. Yeah. Truthfulness is way up there. Truthfulness in all things. Mm. Truthfulness in dealing with your children. Don't lie to them and tell them stories about why you did this or why you did. tell them the truth. What'd you do with with um, Santa Claus? Hmm? What'd you do with Santa Claus? Oh, what? Santa Claus. Um, he just kind of disappeared by himself. I mean, nobody had to really talk about Santa Claus in our family. He just, they just knew. I don't know. Easter Bunny? Did you do kind of the traditional um, stuff there? Same deal. I mean, yeah. they were very wise when they were very young, you yeah. know, mm -hmm. and they had, had it all figured out. Their Kids are a lot smarter than you give them credit for, generally across the board, and some of them even more so. <laughs> and, yeah, they just figured things out on their own, and we didn't really have to deal with any of that. They just, they just knew. Did, did um, I'm sure the answer is yes, but... I don't want this to be like, I don't know, I'm not trying to get to like something juicy here. I'm like when you argued with your husband. Never and, argued with my husband. Oh, so I guess the answer is. He wouldn't respond. Did you ever try to get him to respond? Constantly. So every you, day. Okay. So you would. You can't argue with someone who doesn't answer you back. It's like one hand clapping. Yeah. So you were looking, you would try to create some stress or stimulus to at least get a response. Not stress or stimulus, just questions, plain old questions. Wouldn't answer. Nothing would come back. Nothing. Okay. So what do you think Alex and Stacia learned from watching you try to engage with your husband? Uh, I shudder to think. I don't know. Mm -hmm. When they're older, maybe I'll find out. Or maybe it just won't be important anymore. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I really appreciate the tone of that because I think about the same thing with in know. my family. You know, when my son watches us engage in less than optimized ways and when, you know, we're arguing or we're trying to figure something out or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. know he's switched on watching. Well, I think a lot of what they think depends on how they've been raised, to, uh, whether they've been raised to evaluate, you know, in, in a thinking fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because my parents talked all the time. My parents were madly in love with each other. And I mean, they argued, but still they talked about everything, mostly in Polish. <laughs> and, you know, everywhere we went and from the backseat of the car, they talked, 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 talked all the time. So, but not to kids, you know, adult to adult, you know. But um, so kids learn to evaluate, you know, they talked all the time. And yet, I knew they didn't know how to talk to kids. Even when I was little, I knew this, you know, it's plainly obvious. And so I learned to evaluate levels or qualities, you want to call it, of conversation, you know? And I just hope that 
you know, our kids had the same level of, I don't know what the word is, understanding that there are different levels of conversation and different things are important in conversation and you can ignore this and this may not be as important as you think. So that would be a second principle. The first is truthfulness or truth. And the second principle is discernment. Being able discernment. To, That's mm -hmm. a good word for it. Yeah, discernment. What are some other principles that are really important? I'll think about that one. Well, there we go. <laughs> it's number four on our list. Yeah. That's good. Okay. It, um, yeah, it, truthfulness, discernment. Hmm. Would you say that that is your philosophy in life, is what? to discern well and be truthful? Well, certainly it drove most of my life, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those would be the two big principles. Those would be two of the biggest principles. Yeah, right? cool. But, yeah. Okay. And then how do you, so I get how you teach truthfulness. Conversations, you don't hide, well, you live most, it yourself. Most of parenting, I mean, you can't really tell a child what to think. You can't teach children by telling them what to do. You can only teach children by your example. Really. Mm, okay. That's and, well. That's a guy. So if you are truthful, they will. Principle. I mean, I yeah. mean, the outdoor stuff is is a very clear example of this. When our kids were teeny tiny, you know, from birth on, basically, we used to take them camping, and and they would see us picking up litter and and talking about oh did that that animal of theirs is endangered and, and you know don't do this and, and don't step on that because you know we we taught them something that I was never taught as a kid. The concept of um, uh, cause and effect. A lot of life comes down to this concept of cause and effect. This is how you train dogs or horses or children or anybody. This is how you do a lot of things in life, cause and effect. And if you, if you teach that to children, like we tried to do, both of us, you know, out in the outdoors, and I hope that we tried to, or at least I tried to, teach them that indoors as well, you know, people and living. If you teach that to children, then they reason that way as they grow older. And you don't need to keep teaching them. You just, you've given them the tools, cause and effect. It's one come. of the great gifts that our natural environment naturally curates. Yes. Which are yes. natural consequences. Right, exactly. It's one of the, I, I think, one of the reasons exactly. that Mother Nature is so powerful because... Right. When you're out in the wild, yes, you got to figure it out. There is only cause and effect. That's right. There is nothing else. Yeah, there's some variance in right. what those effects right. can be. And it's, Alex has mastered this concept. <laughs> without and, a doubt. Yeah, mm -hmm. up on the rock. I mean, it's cause and effect. I'm not sure you can master it without being in the natural environment. I don't know right. that. That's a, right. That's a, right. That's exactly. a guiding thought. Yeah. That's why we've lost sight of it because because we live in these monstrous cities where you don't have this concept anymore it's one of the reasons i didn't like traditional stick and ball sports because the traditional stick and ball oh you know, okay like okay. um yeah basketball or whatever i mean I, I i played them i enjoy them still now but i was more drawn to action and adventure stuff because it was like i had to sort out the cause and effect and the wild is right. the, the rules are clear wild gives no quarter yeah that's yeah. right and right. the rules are clear right you hesitate in a dangerous condition Right. You made a significant mistake. Right. As opposed to like kids playing soccer and all of a sudden there's an adult. This was me as a kid. Like, right. what is he saying? The referee. Yeah. Mm. Like, what, 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 
Right. There's no referee in nature. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So the wild and nature was part of your ecosystem that you would create. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. In like inside, you would tell, you would talk to them and make, I'm, I'm imagining based on our conversation right now, eye contact is important to you. Yes. And you would eat, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Now let's shift gears just a little bit to two concepts of parenting. And I, you know what? I just want to ask you this question before I get to these two concepts. What is it like to be one of the, in my mind, one of the most interesting parents in the world right now? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Never thought about it that. And, way. and I'll tell you, I'll tell what you. What is I it like? Yeah, but I wanted to before Ooh. you answer that. The reason being is because we're living in an off-terrain world. There's off no off-terrain. There are no rules. There's no real clear map for success. And right. your son and you have created a way of living that is masterful in the off-terrain world and the uncharted yes. ways. Yes. And so risk-taking is part of it, operating in consequential environments, trusting oneself, refining of skills, building a community of support and challenge. They're in place. Right. And you created a, um, an ecosystem, not a, a guide, right? But an ecosystem yeah. for this adventure. Right. And we need it. We need people to figure out who they yes. are. Yes. And to go boldly. We are in sore need mm. of that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that, you know, you've got this really powerful position in the world of parenting. And so I want to ask what that's like. Okay. And then I want to get to two models of parenting. Helicopter parenting, which you've heard of, I'm sure. <laughs> and then Zamboni parenting, oh, which is okay. like smoothing things out ahead of yeah. their kids. Okay, so what is it like for you to hold this position of parenting? I didn't know I held that position. Mm. So this is the first I heard about that. Yeah, good. So yeah. all the way home, I'll think about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so you've earned it by the artifact of your life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you've also created a beacon for people that reach a certain age in life yeah. that feel like they haven't lived exactly yeah. the way they, they've wanted. And here you are climbing El Cap at age 66. Come on. And so it's like you have reinvented yourself at least twice. Many times. Right? Many times. Probably four based on the book that, you know. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that's, and I'm not talking about just a little upgrade. It's like a complete reinvention. Complete makeover. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. And cool anybody on. can do that, by the way. But. So before we get to that, yeah, before we get to that thought, which is, I think, one of the big thoughts that yeah. you're a beacon for. Helicopter parenting, Zamboni parenting, smoothing things out so kids can have... Both of those are the antithesis of cause and effect. It all comes down to that. If they taught that in school, cause, the concept of cause and effect, life would be a lot easier, <laughs> a lot more predictable, a lot easier, a lot, a lot richer. Um, cause and effect. You know, if you were a helicopter parent... You are ignoring cause and effect completely. Do you remember a time when Alex broke a bone? And when you, you broke a bone? Yeah. And, or something happened when you could have stopped it, but you chose not to, or you missed it. But, but the, the predisposition by your approach is to have him explore. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not so much broken a bone because all of, all of his broken bones happened when his dad had him when Charlie was in charge for the day. So we won't go there, but <laughs> that's a pretty funny thought. Though, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. But, um, 
Yes. Uh, when Alex almost died up on Mount Talac, um, Christmas, it was Christmas holiday. Everybody was home. You know, the, kid, the, the kids were home. Alex's father had just, their father had just died in July. And it was Christmas after that. And Alex wanted to try out Charlie's um, brand new snowshoes. Did you read that part in the book yet? Mm -hmm. He wanted to try that with brand new snowshoes. And it was Christmas. Everything was snowed under, under up in the, up in the Alps, up in the uh, Sierra Nevada, you know, where he was going to go. We live an hour from, uh, from Lake Tahoe, basically. And so he wanted to go snowshoe up Mount Talak. Talak is the almost 10,000 foot peak that looms over Lake Tahoe. It's the middle of winter. Crazy. Nobody goes up there in the middle of winter. You got to be crazy or driven or something. Um, but Alex really wanted to try out these snowshoes. And when Alex is driven, there is no stopping him. Um, I knew what some of the effects of this could be. And he knew too. And I knew that he knew, but he was willing to give it a shot. And so you never know. I, you know, I let him go. I let him take my van because it was safer. It was bigger and heavier than my little car. So I let him take my big heavy van and uh, sleep in it that, that night, you know, Christmas day, night. And then he was going to start snowshoeing the next morning. So, um, yeah, I, I, I knew probably a stupid thing to do, but not in his eyes. You know, he wanted to do this, so I let him go. Almost lost him up there, but um, how old was he? Let him go. He, I'm sorry. How old was he? He was 19, I believe. Yeah, 19 or 20, 19 and a half. So, um, yeah, he had this horrible. He, a horrible storm blew in from Alaska that night when he was sleeping out in the van in um, in the woods, and he didn't know about it. Uh, nobody knew about it. He went up and blew him off the peak, and he went tumbling down, wound up pretty beat up, but uh, he did survive. But um, that was one of those moments when, you know, I could have put my foot down and said, no, don't you dare take it, either of the cars, and, you know, made him stay home. But, but he was driven. He just, he wanted to go do this, and just, I had learned by then to stay out of, out of Alex's way when he's driven to do something. You know, he knows what he can do. He knows what he's capable of. By that time, I... I knew this, you know, they were already writing articles about him and the magazines, the climbing magazines. And, you know, I knew he was different. I knew he could probably handle whatever. As it turned out, the storm was stronger than he was, but, but he did survive. And he, and to this day, he still says, mom, you should never have called 911. I could have made my way down just fine, you know? And he probably could, knowing not what I know now, he probably could have, but he was, dying of hypothermia up there. I mean, he was covered in blood and he was, it was this horrible storm still going on up there. Winds such that the helicopter couldn't land to pick him up. Um, and, and he was covered in blood and, and it was just a horrible scene. But he probably, knowing now what I know about him, he probably could have found his way down. He had a concussion, he had a broken arm, he had all kinds of injuries and, and he was covered in blood. But he, Still, he probably could have found his way down. How did you manage it? Because so he was managing it in his element. And then as a parent, how did you manage it in your element? 
what do you mean emotionally? Mm. Uh, well, well, my daughter, you know, Stacia was home. They were both home. She was still sleeping. Uh, this happened. I got a phone call from him. Shall I give the whole story away? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the book. You have to read it in the book. It's a hair-raising story. It is, yeah. But so, so it was a four-way conversation. I gave the phone, hit the, you know, he called me on his cell phone, which was one day old. I had just given them the cell phone. There were a lot of uh, coincidences that day that all combined to save his life, you know, and whatever you want to call that. I, that's kind of a Twilight Zone moment that day. I haven't figured that one out myself yet. But so I gave that the phone to Stacia. I said, keep him talking. Don't let him fall asleep. And then I called 911. And 911 patched me through to search and rescue up there. And so um, I had to keep it together. We had this four-way thing going on. And I had to monitor that with Stacia that he's not asleep, is he? he he's still talking. And I'm listening to her. And on the other ear, I was listening to the search and rescue people. And so I, I, I didn't dare let it all collapse. <laughs> you know, I had to listen to everybody. And then we finally hung up with them. They found him. They, they were going to go get him. And uh, so then I had to organize Stacia. We, you know, we had to pack a bag for him. We were going to go up to They took him to the Reno Reno Trauma Center, which is several hours from our house, on the other side of Lake Tahoe, on the other side of the Sierra Nevada. And it was like 10 o'clock at night by the time we were, uh, it was a horrible day. Um, so I, I didn't dare lose it. I had to, you know, then I had to drive up there. And it was the day after Christmas. Everybody was on the road returning their gifts. Every exit from I-80, we'd go, we were go, going 85 miles and then all of a sudden we were going 20 miles at the exits off to these malls and shopping. It was horrible. And so I, I had to keep it together. And then when we got there, I had to keep, I just had it. It was like, like my childhood. I just had to keep it together for everybody else around me. And then they drove home. They got the, we finally got the van out of the woods and got Alex out of the hospital, got the van out of the woods. And, and uh, Stacia drove the two of them home in the van and I followed in the car and just in case, I had to keep it together. It's a windy, twisty, windy, treacherous road down from Tahoe. And uh, we just had to keep it together. Then we just all fell into bed, and I went unconscious. <laughs> and my mm. mind just saved me. Mm -hmm. Next day was just a new day, new start. Mm. So you're in your sixth decade, and you look up at El Cap, 3,000 <laughs> feet, and you say, yeah. Who let's in go. his right mind? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. So well, I, no, I had well, it's, I had been looking up at it and saying, "Wow, I wonder what they see from up there. I wonder what it feels like to be up there." I've been, you know, looking up and saying that for decades because we've been going there for decades. Well, you can hike up another way, but you wanted to be on. And the you wall. can. Yeah, you can, yeah. but it's, uh, but it's not the same. No, no, no. You wanted to be on the wall. Mm. And so, for folks who oh. think that. You know, I'm just too old. I oh, missed my thing early days. Such a sad attitude. I, you know, and I'm suffering because I should have been fill in the blank. I could have been fill in the blank. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah. And I didn't make that decision. Yeah. Right? Like for whatever reasons, other people yeah. got in the way and, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. What do you say to them? What do you say to her? What do you say to him? That's that's a long question, a very beefy question. It's it's never too late unless you are willing to accept that it is. 
Um, life is completely open to you unless you buy into the limits that other people put on you. Well, I can't do that because I've got two kids and I've got right. a mortgage right. and I've got, and right. I've got, and I've right. got, and right. I can't if you just accept uproot. those limits. If you accept those limits and buy into them, they become yours. Well, my, my wife or my husband has a stable job. And so right. I could play right. the fantasy that, right. you know, I want to go be a ballerina, but I'm just too old. Right. And right. I can't do that. Right. So how do you, how I do grew you... up surrounded by people like that. Everything was too hard and, oh, we couldn't do that. Oh no, I'm too old. No, no, I'm no, I'm a girl. I can't, you know, you know, and when I was little, I realized how futile and ridiculous that is. But, all the adults around me were old in their heads. You know, my parents were old when they were 40. You know, they were, and that's what makes you old. You don't get old because you wear out. You wear out because you, 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 know, you think old. Um, you just have to recognize, acknowledge and recognize, a, you know, is a certain limit true? Is it really true that I cannot XYZ. And how do I know this? And if you can't know it unless you try it, really, you know, I grew up in a house that was filled with smoke all the time. They didn't know back then that smoke, you know, secondhand smoke, they didn't know about that. Both my parents smoked all the time. And so our house was this thick, gray cloud. <laughs> it was horrible. And I, I never realized it until I was grown. You know, it was just the way the house was, the way things were. And so I knew that all my life growing up, you know, anything more strenuous than, you know, pedaling a little bicycle or getting up out of my chair and I would huff and puff. My lungs were shot and I knew this. I quote unquote knew that I could never, you know, be an athlete or be doing run or do anything that sustained, you know. Well, turns out it's not true at all. But you can't know until you push the limit you know you know you're a girl you're not supposed to go do that whatever that is you know I wasn't supposed to I was a climber when I was a little kid but I was not supposed to I love to go you know uh, adventuring with the little boys and climb on the garage roofs climb the trees climb the lampposts but I would you know they were always yelling at me, get down from there. The boys are going to see your underpants. You know, you're supposed to wear a dress. You're not supposed to, you know. So you have to decide which of those supposed tos you approve of and which you don't. Discernment. Discernment, exactly. Discernment. Exactly. Okay. So let's say. And we're not raised to be discerning in this society. Well, I, I think. We're raised to follow. It's a skill follow advertisements or raised mm. to be a certain way. And if you're not, you need to take a drug. <laughs> That's basically what this society is, our society is all about. I was astounded. We didn't have television when I was, when I, our kids were growing up, we didn't have a TV and, um, and they thank me for that now, both of them. But, um, so we were not part of that culture. We didn't know the actors. We didn't know the advertisements. We you know, all that stuff. And so I, I never got, back, you know, after the kids grew up and left, I, I just never changed that. I still don't have television at home and I, I don't miss it one iota. How do you speak to the 40 to 50 year old woman who has done a marvelous job raising children, has sacrificed something? Oh yeah. There's a lot of sacrifice involved in raising mm -hmm. children. Yeah. And 
have a calling. They don't know what it is, but yeah. they know that there's more. They're not sure exactly what to do next. And, but they have a sense that there's something inside them. They were, it's either the expression of that sacrifice or it's something new. Like, what do you say to them? Another big question. Yeah. You're full of big questions. Yeah, well, um, yeah, but I think you... a big, a good way to start figuring that out is journaling. Journaling. I cannot emphasize that enough. Journaling is the key to just about everything. Wait a minute. You want me to write down? Yes. What? Yes. What, what do you want me to write Sit down? Sit down with a pen in your hand, not not a not a, you know, not dictating, just a pen. What do, where do I start? Turn on some quiet classical music. You know, no no voices, no words. You know, some quiet music, instrumental music. Then it'd be classical, but you know some quiet music, shut out everything else, and just sit there with the pen in your hand, and you will be amazed at what happens. Cool. So you do, op you do an open journaling process. Anything anything you want. Mm -hmm. Your mind will direct you. You will be amazed at what And when happens. I have nothing to say, when I have nothing to write. Nobody has nothing to say. When Everyone I don't know what has to, a voice. When I don't know what to write Everyone down. has a voice, but it's hammered out of us. It's hammered out of us in school. It's hammered out of us on the television. It's hammered out of us by every advertisement. I was astounded. I was starting to say before, I never watched television for like 20, 30 years, whatever it was. And then I went to a friend's house and she had cable television on. Nothing but ads for drugs. I was astounded that they allow that. That should be illegal. Mm -hmm. Drugs are not our natural state. That's the antithesis of our natural state. And nothing but adds for drugs. We are, it is hammered into us to, you know, the, 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 the nail that sticks up gets beaten down, whatever, however that. Oh, yes. You're know, right. We are just to follow the rules that, and the rules come from television and nowadays online. Okay. I don't have, I, I hear you. I just don't have enough. I'm playing along. I just don't have the time. And I don't know what that's going to do anyways, because Turn I've got so many things. Turn off your devices. Mm. Everybody has the time. I'm not on my device that much. I yeah, see my kids yeah. are, but yeah. I'm not on yeah, my device. Yeah, I'm different. Yeah. Well, like everybody thinks they're an above average driver. Yeah. Everybody's different. Yeah. You have the time. If your mental state, emotional state, mind, whatever you want to call it, is important to you, you'll have the time. I can't tell you how happy cause I am and right effect. Now. It comes I, down I to cause and effect. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love. It's very your simple, but yeah. we make it so complex. It's not complex at all to figure yourself out. It's not. It's cause and effect. Sit down with your pen and your paper and see what happens. It's it's the it's better than any shrink in my book. Do you do any sort of mindfulness practice? It's all mindfulness. Mm -hmm. When I was three and a half, I became very mindful. Mm -hmm. And it's never stopped. Yeah, so no formal training, sitting no. on a pillow and, no. and breathing in, in you know, open source, but um, more just paying attention. Right. And feeling and discerning. listening and watching. Yeah. So mindfulness and meditation is the practice of discernment in many ways. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And mindfulness just means being aware. Yeah. Do you have an aversion to psychologists or shrinks? No. Yeah, but you you think that there's a better process, um, which is being alone with your your thoughts. Well, they can they can complement each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's um, obviously I'm trained 
in, in that field, but there is, well, there are skilled professionals and there's unskilled professionals. Yeah. Spending uh, time with an unskilled like any, professional. Like any profession. There are good teachers and there are bad teachers. Right. There yeah. are good shrinks and there are bad shrinks. Yeah, there's, there's there are, good shrinks, bad fit. There are there are, are professionals who try to guide their patients towards mindfulness, and there are those who try to guide them towards drugs. You you know, yeah. it's true of any profession. There are good lawyers, bad lawyers, good whatevers, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. That if journaling will can help you avoid that decision. Awesome. Do I have a good shrink or a bad shrink? Well, if your journal is your shrink, it doesn't matter. Cool. Really cool. The journal is the best head doctor around. Yeah, it's you and you. Exactly. Right. And exactly. you know, getting honest in that. Exactly. That's where and if you can be honest on paper, you can find out who you are. It's really cool because there's a forcing function that takes place for people that might be new to journaling. It's different than thinking. When you have a pen and a blank sheet of paper, you have to, of your native tongue, you have to choose the words to express. And that choosing of all the words that you could choose, which ones do you choose to write and express? Right. And when you do that, that forcing function creates some clarity. And that right. clarity over right. time right. becomes even more clear. And then so I go, I've got this thought from clarity to conviction. Right. Okay. So living a life, first you got to get clear about some stuff. Right. And then if you want to live a life of conviction, the, the stitching in between those two is mental, our mental skills. Right. So right. physical and mental skills are the linking between the two. And I'm more interested in the mental skills. Like, I can see I, you've thought about this a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. Like if I've got great clarity about who I want to be and yeah. the principles I want to live, and then all of a sudden I go into an environment that is stressful or has pressure or consequence, and I abandon that to survive yeah. only, yeah. Yeah. well, it's because I don't have the mental tools. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about mental tools, there's lots of them, but the big five, and I'd love to hear your take on them which one you're most interested in right now or have been most interested okay. in. So confidence. What was that? Confidence. Confidence. Mm -hmm. okay. Being confident. Um, generating well, confidence a, is a result, not okay. a tool. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to, let's okay. go, go into that in a sec. So com confidence, being calm. So having a sense of manage your internal, calmness. yeah. Um, clear goals or visions or ideas about, you know, what the future could look like. Having routines. So something to prime your mind. And behaviors, um, imagery, and I'm blanking on. Uh, well, that's one five. More. That's five. Yeah. That's five. And so, of those skills, which ones are you most interested in? Skills. I don't know if I call those skills. Yeah. Those are like the results of the skills. Yeah. So the, you're right that a state of confidence is the output. Yeah. Yeah. We're shorthanding. Work hard. Yeah, we're shorthanding the skill part. Self-talk is the skill mm -hmm. to master, if you will, to be confident. Breathing is the skill to master to be calm in right. any condition. Right. right. But right. as a, right. uh, we'll call it, we can call them skills and states skill and principles. Sets or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, out of those, which ones are you most interested in? If you could install. Give them again. Confidence. Co calmness. Yeah. Right. Imagery pre-performance routines and some sort of goals or well there i would say they're all equally important yeah that's what most people say too yeah, yeah yeah i couldn't single one out to be more when you said confidence was a effect result yeah. a result you're saying that the skill of it uh, well, would, well to a certain extent you know some people are born with more than others and you know 
It's interesting because I'm not sure. I think that people are born with a predisposition for being calm, but yes. not confidence. Yes. And when people are calm in stress-based environments and they look around and other people are falling apart because they're breathing and their you know, heart rate is pounding out of their chest and they look around, they're like, oh, well, I'm actually doing pretty good. That, that little confident. Yeah, that little dialogue, like, I, I'm actually okay here. Uh-huh. That self-talk is actually an accelerant. You know, and yeah. because they, they've got low CNS, low central nervous system activation, you know, okay. do you come into this world with high activation or lower activation? And I'm curious about Alex too, but I think I asked him that question on the podcast, but Alex came into this world completely confident. Hmm. He knew from the get go and he was one and a half, two, that he knew better than everybody around him about everything and that never changed and he knew that i believe now because of the physicality of him of his his whole being he knew what he could do but he also knew how to do math better than his two aunts and he also knew how he knew that he knew better than everybody around him when he was two three four and it's hard to raise a kid like that really a challenge to raise a kid who knows better than everybody and he didn't do not I don't mean that in the way like you know out of little kids oh I know better than you do you know I don't mean it that way he he was convinced that he knew better about whatever we were doing or thinking about or talking about or doing you know he he and he was usually right I hate to put that out there he was usually right (laughs) Yeah, yeah um and so some people are born with more of one or one of those five things yeah. or more. Oh, there's, there are more, but those are the big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I... But it would be hard to separate those five and say which one is more important. I think they're pretty much equally important. Yeah, it is a bit like a hand and glove. They work together. Right, right. Okay. You've dedicated your life in a truthful, discerning way to figure out how to help others flourish, namely your children and yourself. You've become a My beacon, students. your students and your guides is a, is a way that you reference, reference them in your intro, that your, your kids are your guides. It's a really cool thought. So that being said, a beacon for being able to rediscover your potential, a beacon for uh, adventurous life, a beacon for transforming into the woman that you're wanting to become and meant to be maybe as another poetic way of thinking about it and a beacon for parenting to helping kids flourish even in a consequential environment a la a consequential world Mm -hmm. that we live in and the greatest consequence is not living a path that matters right right? not living so many of us are not actually living (laughs) it's the greatest risk just kind of existing and, and waiting to die so how do you think about mastery how do you think about that concept i don't equate mastery with skill at all. I don't know if that goes counter to everybody. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't had time to look anything up or do any research, but in my own head, mastery to me is being sure. Sure of what you want. Sure of how to get there, how to achieve it. And sure of what it will do for your life. That's mastery. My son always knew from birth, even though he had 
no idea what other people thought of any of this stuff. He always knew what he wanted. He always knew what he wanted. People wanted to drug him, put him on medicines, take him to the doctor. He always knew what he wanted. He knew what he needed to do to achieve it. And he did that every day. To my great chagrin. <laughs> it's hard to raise a kid who's so driven like that. But he knew what he wanted. He was sure about how to get there. And he worked hard at how to get there every day. He was in training every day of his life. When all the, you know, we'd be sitting around and kids on toys on the floor and, and Stacia and her, her friends would have their little legs wrapped around that little thing on the floor and they were laughing and falling. Alex would stand up on the thing instead and get up higher and grab something. And all the adults would yell, watch out, watch out. He wasn't just being wild. He was training. I didn't know this back then. But, you know, perspective is wonderful, <laughs> you know. Um, Hindsight is, you know, so clarifying. So he knew what he wanted. He knew how to get there. He knew that he needed to work on these skills, this skill set, every day. And he knew, like deep down where you really know these things, he knew that it would make his life better. It would be his life. He didn't know if it would be allowed, if he could make money at it. He didn't know if other people would laugh at him for it. He knew, you know, he knew all these things always. He went to Berkeley because his parents were teachers and his grandparents were teachers and education was very valued in our home. And, and, and they were both phenomenally bright. I mean, not because they're my kids or anything, but they were very, very bright. And so they could do anything, you know, like 4.8 averages, you know, across the board, both of them. And so he... He knew, you know, that he had to go to college. You know, that was just ex that was expected. But he also had this mastery going on, and he knew what he needed to do. So, so while he was at Berkeley, he didn't go to class. He went out to the what's it called, Indian Rock in Berkeley, and he would train. He would master his skills out there every day. And finally, eventually became honest enough to ask me if it would be okay if he just dropped out of Berkeley just for a year, you know, and I could always go back and, you know, and I, I suspected he was never going to go back <laughs> in my heart of heart. I, I knew that was not for him. His mastery was elsewhere. And I didn't know these terms back then. I didn't know. I It was not, not nearly this clear to me way back then. But I knew something was going on, and I knew it was pointing this way, and, and what could I say? You want to quit Berkeley? <laughs> How many kids would, you know, just turn their back on, mm. you want to quit Berkeley and go be a dirtbagger and climb? Sure, go ahead. You know, what could I say? It was his path, you know, and it had been his path from the day he was born. He could stand up. He could stand up the day he was born. He had huge, powerful hands, and he had huge, powerful thighs. And the day he was born, he could just, you know, he could stay standing, but he could stand up. He could push himself vertical. So it was inevitable. And that is mastery. Mastery is being sure, basically, really what it comes cool. down to. No one's ever described it that way. Really? Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's refreshing. Well, it just seems kind of obvious when you take it apart. I mean, that's what mastery is, the being sure. You can, if mastery and skill are very, very different. Skill is what allows mastery to occur, okay? Uh, it can push us towards mastery. But it's the sureness 
that makes it be, become mastery. Mm. Without that sureness, it cannot become mastery. You could you could be the best piano player in your neighborhood and you know play beautiful Chopin and then and whatever Mendelssohn and play for your neighborhood, but if you yourself waver about well, I'm not really that good and oh I could never do that competition or I could never you know then you're never going to achieve mastery. You'll never be a master at it. You'll be very, very good. You'll be skillful, but you will never achieve mastery. You won't have that sureness. It's the sureness. And Alex was born with that. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for, you know, being a beacon of transformation and change and hope and ecosystems that help people thrive. So where can we find you? Where can, where can folks that are enthralled and interested, where can they... Okay. Uh, they there are lots them? of ways. The, uh, f first of all, for the book, anywhere we, you can buy books on Amazon or, or uh, any bookstore, uh, Barnes & Nobles, uh, any, any bookstore can order it. It's called The Sharp End of Life. And that's a climbing term, by the way, The Sharp End. Um, so The Sharp End of Life is out there. You can get it anywhere. Perfect. Um, and then how about social media? Social media, you just uh, type in my name, at Deirdre Walnick. Go ahead and spell uh, that for us. For Facebook and Instagram. And go ahead and spell that for us. Okay. D-I-E-R-D-R-E. -E -E, that's Deirdre. And then Walnick, W-O-L-O-W-N-I-C-K. I'm sorry, it's a toughie. It is a tough one. D-I-E-R-D-R-E. W-O-L-O-W-N-I-C-K. It's Polish. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's hard, hard, hard to spell, hard to remember. But once you do, it'll be worth the trip. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for diving into another episode of Finding Mastery with us. Our team loves creating this podcast and sharing these conversations with you. We really appreciate you being part of this community. And if you're enjoying the show, the easiest no cost way to support is to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening. Also, if you haven't already, please consider dropping us a review on Apple or Spotify. We are incredibly grateful for the support and feedback. If you're looking for even more insights, we have a newsletter we send out every Wednesday. Punch over to findingmastery.com slash newsletter to sign up. This show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, and we take our recommendations seriously, and the team is very thoughtful about making sure we love and endorse every product you hear on the show. If you want to check out any of our sponsor offers you heard about in this episode, you can find those deals at findingmastery.com sponsors. And remember, no one does it alone. The door here at Finding Mastery is always open to those looking to explore the edges and the reaches of their potential so that they can help others do the same. So join our community, share your favorite episode with a friend, and let us know how we can continue to show up for you. Lastly, as a quick reminder, information in this podcast and from any material on the Finding Mastery website and social channels is for information purposes only. If you're looking for meaningful support, which we all need, one of the best things you can do is to talk to a licensed professional. So seek assistance from your healthcare providers. Again, a sincere thank you for listening. Until next episode, be well, think well, and keep exploring.